If you've been looking for a comprehensive Bible school curriculum that explores redemptive realities in Jesus Christ grounded in the Word of God, look no further. The goal of this podcast is to spread the life-transforming Word of God throughout the world for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ in what Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. There's such an untapped potential for Christians to enter into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Together we will discover what Jesus has done for us by providing such a great salvation and how to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Each podcast season will cover one of the books that I have compiled over the years. You can find a complete listing of my Christian education material on my website at www.wordinspire.com. You're welcome to download these ebooks for free in PDF format for your own personal or ministry use. So let's explore these biblical truths and principles together that will absolutely transform our lives. God bless. Welcome to the Word of Life study series, Redeemed from the Curse of the Law. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law according to Galatians 3.13. I think it is common knowledge that anything that has a curse attached to it is a bad thing. So what is the curse of the law, you may ask? The only way to answer that is to look in the book of Deuteronomy, where God had revealed to Moses and the children of Israel the consequences of breaking God's law, which is sin. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The Purpose of the Law God's revelation to humanity concerning the law of God or the Ten Commandments was significant for many reasons. So let's provide a little background so we can fully appreciate what the curse of the law represents. First of all, the law reveals the holiness of God and his righteous standard of conduct to make all mankind accountable. Romans 3.19 Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Secondly, the law defines clearly right from wrong. There is nothing obscure or relative about God's law. It is what it is. God's righteous standard of holiness is eternal. It represents who he is and what he requires of us in order to have fellowship with him. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. 
For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking the command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. Thirdly, and most importantly, the purpose of the law is to frustrate mankind. That may sound strange, but the sheer genius of it is remarkable. One of God's greatest gifts to mankind is the revelation of what he requires of us and to know what right from wrong is. The problem is this. Because of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, we are all born into sin with a sinful nature inherited by Adam in our physical body. As a result, we will all reach the age of accountability, knowing right from wrong, according to Romans chapter 7, verse 9-12. through 12. As a consequence, we all sin and receive from Satan a spiritual sinful nature that dooms us to hell. So how is this a good thing, you may ask? Well, the law and our sinful nature speak to us in no uncertain terms that we need a Savior to save us from this impossible predicament as the disciples figured out in Luke chapter 18, verse 26. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Holy Spirit. When man tries on his own to live the perfect life, only to fail and to fail every time, what is left is a stark realization of the utter hopelessness and futility in making oneself right with God. The other religions of the world, which are nothing more than a works-based system, only serve in applying an external veneer of self-righteousness that the Bible calls filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. Nothing that is man-made can change the heart of a person, which is desperately wicked outside of Christ. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What humanity needs is a spiritual new birth. The new birth is a rebirth of the human spirit, and Jesus spoke of this in John chapter 3. Let's start with verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Holy Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to the human spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Holy Spirit. John 6.28 Then they asked Jesus, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So getting to heaven and becoming a child of God is completely dependent on receiving a spiritual new birth 
through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So the purpose of the law is to point people to Jesus, Galatians 3.24, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John 1.36, Galatians 3.19, what then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. Galatians chapter 3 verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So getting back to the curse of the law and what it is. First of all, the curse of the law is experienced when God's law or his word is broken. We call that sin. If you have lived for any length of time, you have come to realize that sin is an easy thing to do. Sin is anything less than perfection. Romans 14.23 And everything that does not come from faith is sin. James 4.17 Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So when we sin, the Bible calls us a lawbreaker, which in turn invokes the curse of the law, which is the consequence of breaking it. The curse of the law is simply death, which is a manifestation of the work of Satan, either directly or indirectly, as a result of the fall of mankind. James 2.10 For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Poverty is a curse. Death is more of a who rather than a what. And I'm not talking about the grim reaper either. As far as the Bible is concerned, who is the father of sin and who committed the first sin? That's right, it was Satan himself. Everything that results in death is a product or the handiwork of Satan. In John 10.10, Jesus stated that Satan's mode of operation is threefold, to kill, steal, and destroy everything he gets hold of. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 15. You, Lucifer, were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made you a spectacle of you before kings. Hebrews 2.14 Since the children have flesh and blood, 
Jesus too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The only way legally Satan can get a hold of folks' lives is through their sin. Sin subjects humanity to Satan's dominion, jurisdiction, and authority. Sin is rebellion against God, which is what Satan is the father of. So all who sin come under his control and ownership and share his doom. Therefore, all that is bad, sickness, pain, evil, poverty, was created by and perpetuated through Satan's kingdom of darkness. Romans 6.16 Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. John 8.34 Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son or daughter belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That is why Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He came to take away our sin and ransom us from Satan's tyranny according to Hebrews 9.15. Only through faith in Jesus Christ, confessing Him as Lord according to Romans 10.9, do we receive the gift of eternal life and receive our deliverance from the curse of the law, Satan's cruel and miserable oppression. Colossians 1.13 For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the curse of the law and Satan are one and the same. So let's look at how Satan operates to make life a living hell for people that are under his control. The whole account or explanation of Satan's operations are found in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 15 to 68 but we are going to specifically focus on the areas of the curse that affect our financial and material areas of life. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 15 to 19 and verse 38 to 40. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed, and the crops of your land, and the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in, and cursed when you go out. You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little, because locusts will devour it. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes, because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil, because the olives will drop off. Now, what I want to make really clear here is that God does not administer, nor is he the agent of death and the curse of the law. But reading these scriptures in the Bible would lead us to believe that God himself puts sickness and affliction upon his people, for it reads, the Lord will send on you. Now, Dr. Robert Young was a Hebrew and Greek scholar. Old Testament was written in Hebrew and New Testament was written in the Greek and the author of Hints and Helps to Bible Interpretation. He says in this book that in Exodus 15.26, the literal Hebrew reads, I will permit to put upon thee none of these diseases which I permitted to be brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. You see, the original Hebrew of these scriptures was in the permissive tense, but because the English language 
has no corresponding permissive tense, the verbs were translated in the causative tense. The key to understand these different passages of Scripture lies in knowing that the active verbs in the Hebrew have been translated in the causative tense when they should have been translated in the permissive tense. So Deuteronomy 28.27 should have been translated something like this. The Lord will allow or permit these plagues to be brought upon you. So please keep in mind that Old Testament scripture language frequently attributes directly to God what he merely permits. Many of the verbs were translated in the causative sense in the King James Version. For example, Isaiah 45.7, Does God create evil? Well, the answer would be no. Otherwise, that would make God a devil. God may permit evil, but he does not create it. If God commits or creates evil, then he has no right whatsoever to judge mankind for sinning. We need to take the whole counsel of God's word into consideration when interpreting these scriptures. God is not responsible for evil. He only permits evil. There is a vast difference between commission and permission. Isaiah 45 verse 7 I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I the Lord do all these things. How about Amos 3.6 Shall a trumpet be blown in the city? and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? In speaking of the Passover night, when the children of Israel were in Egypt, notice that Exodus 12.12 gives the impression that God personally went through the land of Egypt to deal out death and judgment. However, when we read down to verse 23, we see that when the blood was applied to a house, the Lord would not permit the destroyer access to that home. Well, who is the destroyer then? Let's look at Revelation 9.11. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in the Greek Apollyon. There is a small letter beside the name Apollyon in my Bible and the interpretation for that name is destroyer. The king spoken of here in the book of Revelation is Satan or Beelzebub being interpreted Lord of the Flies. In Luke chapter 11, verse 15 to 18. So who was directly responsible for the deaths of the firstborn in Egypt? That's right, it was the devil. God merely was allowing or permitting it to happen. Exodus 12, 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Exodus 12, verse 23. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Hebrews 11.28 By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So what we see over and over again throughout Scripture is, is that God is passing judgment that allows the destroyer access to the people in the Old and New Testaments. So often, when studying the nation of Israel, when they backslid from God, the Lord would warn them of impending judgment and grant them a period of time to repent. When they ignored God's warnings and refused to repent, the Lord simply lifted his hand of protection over them, and their enemies rushed in like a flood. Satan, through these enemies of Israel, came in like a plague to kill, steal, and destroy them. 
Judges 2.14 In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Psalm 78.61 He sent the ark of his might into captivity, his splendor into the hands of the enemy. He gave his people over to the sword. He was very angry with his inheritance. Revelation chapter 2 verse 21. I, Jesus, have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. When the children of Israel had enough suffering and misery, they would repent of their ways, and God in his mercy, faithfulness, and loving kindness would restore his hand of protection and deliver them from the hand of Satan and their enemies. God would restore their health, prosperity, and protection until in the course of time, the people would forget and give in to the same temptations of the devil who is looking to regain access and put them through hell on earth all over again. Therefore, the vicious cycle of blessing, backslidden, warning, judgment, repentance, blessing would continue all throughout the history of Israel. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 was written to point out this scenario so we would learn from Israel's mistakes and understand how sin opens the door to the devil to kill, steal, and destroy. God permits it because he is not about to become a willing accomplice to our sin when we refuse to repent. Satan could challenge God's justice if the Lord refused to turn unrepentant children of God over to him to be judged. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. 1 Timothy 1.19 Holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, and have so shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hominius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. 1 Corinthians 11.29 For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So we are seen in scripture to be judged by the Lord is to be turned over to the hand of the enemy. And what does the enemy promptly do? Sets out to destroy our lives because that is what he has been wanting to do all along. He has just been waiting for the right opportunity when individuals had expended God's mercy for them to repent. And like a lion, he pounces on them with sickness, calamities, and the like. Sin opens the door to the devil when we fail to repent. That is not talking about sexual sin, but also giving into fear or unforgiveness as well. Romans 14 verse 23, James 4:17. We can open the door through the simple admission of ignorance and a lack of knowledge. That too is a way of opening the door. It does not have to be legitimate as far as the devil is concerned. The Bible does not say he can devour anyone he wants to. It is stated in 1 Peter 5:8 that he is looking for someone that he can devour because they allow him to. If we resist him by claiming the blood of Jesus, And by speaking the word of God, he can't devour us. Praise the Lord. Luke 4.13 When the devil had finished all his tempting, 
He left Jesus until an opportune time. 1 Peter 5.8 Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Some people think God is quick to judgment. Not so. Just look at how he dealt with Israel, who were more times than not steeped in rebellion, idol worship, sacrificing their children to demons and the like. Still, God was so merciful and long-suffering. He gave them years to repent and sent prophets to warn them. However, they would kill the prophets. And what would God do? Send them another prophet, and they would kill him as well. What would you do if you were God? Well, thank God you are not. The key to understanding these different passages of Scripture is found in knowing that the active verbs in the Hebrew have been translated in the causative sense when they should have been translated in the permissive sense. Someone might say, well, maybe God didn't exactly send the poverty on them, but he permitted it, implying that since he permitted it, he had some purpose in it. It was not God's will or purpose that an entire generation of the children of Israel should die in the desert because of unbelief. They never made it into their promised land. Just because God permits something doesn't mean he has a purpose in it. For example, it was not God's will for Israel to have an earthly king. God was to be their king. 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 4 through 9. Just so we don't get too lopsided in talking about the curse of the law and Satan's activities, let's see what God is directly responsible for when we fulfill God's law through faith in Jesus Christ and receive his perfect righteousness, which makes it legal for God to pour out his blessings upon our lives. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, I give you today the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground. In the land he swore to your forefathers to give you, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on the land in season and to bless all the works of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following after God's and serving them. Requirements for Prosperity I wish that prosperity was as automatic as breathing, but it is not. When we look at the promises of God in the Bible, 
we readily see that there are conditions associated with them. It's not about deserving or earning the blessings of God, but it does boil down to simple obedience and faith. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 26. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. So when we look at requirements for prosperity, number one is knowing the will of God concerning prosperity. Number two, renew our minds and get our thinking, talking, and actions in line with the word. Number three, a lifestyle of honoring God and putting his word first place in our life. And number four, consistent application of the principles of God's word concerning prosperity. The Israelites under the old covenant had to obey the whole law. The law of the new covenant is that we walk in love. Romans chapter 13 verse 8 and 10 and John chapter 13 verse 34. Walking in love is manifested by obeying God's commands as Jesus said in John 14 15. If you love me, you obey what I command. Everything we receive from God must be appropriated by his grace and through our faith. 1 John 5 2. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. So the promises of God must be individually appropriated in our lives through faith in God's Word. Through the New Covenant, God has given us thousands of promises that cover our lives today on earth and the life we will experience in heaven. What is important to realize is that in the life we live today, particularly in the area of financial prosperity, God has made ample provision through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.18 But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Second Peter 1 verse 2 Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. According to 2 Corinthians 1.18, it is plainly stated that all the promises of God are yes, not sometimes yes and sometimes no, only yes in Christ. However, the promises of God concerning prosperity are not automatically applied in our lives. Even though they belong to us, and it's God's will for us to enter into this provision for our lives, it requires faith, just like it was for salvation, by His grace and through our faith, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 19, Again I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Mark 11.22 Have faith in God, Jesus answered. 
I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. John 14 verse 13, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. John 15 7, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. John 16 23, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. 1 John 3.21 Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask, because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. 1 John 5.14 This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. In Mark 9.23, If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Notice how many times these scriptures use the words whatever and anything you ask for. God is the constant that does not change, and his word never fails. We are the variable in that we may or may not believe. And it is our faith that determines whether we receive or not. God's word is God's will, and that is eternal and unchanging. So if we fail to receive, it is not that God changed his mind or made an exception for us. We simply missed it somewhere. So if we ask God for wisdom in the matter according to James 1.5 and judge ourselves according to 1 Corinthians 11 verse 27 to 34, we can try again and receive. We are never a failure until we give up. Matthew 13.57 But Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Mark 16.14 Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. In Mark 5.34 Jesus said, Daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Hebrews 4 verse 1 Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now there are roadblocks to prosperity. Number one, we must be willing and obedient to the call of God and his purpose for our life. Isaiah 1 verse 19. Number two, we must give with right motives, out of love for his kingdom. Matthew 6.33 and James 4.3. Number three, we can't be motivated out of fear or guilt instead of faith and love. Galatians 5.6. Number four, beware of greed, selfishness, and materialism. Luke 12, verse 15. Number five, dishonesty in the way we do business or our work ethic will definitely be a stumbling block. Proverbs 11, 3, chapter 13, verse 11, and chapter 20, verse 23. Finally, number six, being impatient. There are principles that work with a consistent lifestyle. 
Hebrews 6.12 If we continue to honor and obey God and His Word, the money and material blessings will come. It won't happen overnight, but it will come in time if we keep sowing the right seed. Here's an important qualification for prosperity. Learning to esteem earthly things lightly and as temporary. Moses did not put the things of this world first. Rather, he esteemed the kingdom of God more than the material world around him. He was looking ahead to his reward. There is a price to following Jesus, but it is not to be sick, oppressed, impoverished, and starving to death. Moses gave up worldly fame, prestige, and power, but he never lacked any good thing from God. His needs were always met. Hebrews 11 verse 24 By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Remember, it's not wrong to have money. It is the love of money and following after it instead of the Lord that is wrong. The Lord wants us to be rich, just not covetous. We can't serve two masters. Matthew 6.24 No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Next, we must put God's word first place in our lives and obey his commandments. It is not enough to be obedient or just willing. We must be both willing and obedient in order to qualify for the blessings of God. Isaiah 119 If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. In 3 John verse 2, God's will for us is to be prosperous and in health. But the Apostle John went on to say that God loves it when his children walk in the truth. This next point is really important for us to grasp. Spiritual prosperity comes before financial prosperity. Training in godliness must be a priority according to 1 Timothy 4.8. Just as in Exodus chapter 15 verse 26 and chapter 23 verse 26, physical prosperity is a byproduct of spiritual prosperity. When we are first rich in the word, dwelling in our hearts, then all the blessings of God will be added to us. You see, all the blessings of God begin first in the spirit of a person. The kingdom of God is within us, according to Luke 17, verse 20 and 21. There are no shortcuts. We need to get our minds renewed with the word so that we think in line with the Bible. God's will is for his children to be blessed to overflowing. Let's not limit God according to the circumstances of life. The blessings of God will not fall on us automatically. So let's be diligent in faith and walking in love. If our thinking is wrong, then our believing is going to be wrong. If our believing is wrong, then our talking will be wrong, and that results in us not receiving or receiving the wrong things. We have to get our thinking, believing, and talking synchronized with the Word of God. Our authority in the area of finances. Isn't it wonderful to know that it was God who created wealth, gold, silver, and abundance? When we consider the extravagance of heaven streets made out of gold, according to Revelation 21.18, why should we think that the Christian life is meant to be a barely-get-along affair? 
It was the Lord who had instructed his disciples to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, according to Matthew 6.10. Psalms chapter 50 verse 10. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. Haggai 2 verse 8. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Make no mistake about it, money denotes power and influence in the earth. Christian piety alone is not going to get the gospel proclaimed throughout the earth. It takes money. Fortunately for us, we have an awesome God who gives us the ability to produce wealth and who transfers the wealth of the wicked to the children of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Proverbs 13.22 A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Jesus has restored our lost dominion in the Garden of Eden, through his death, burial, and resurrection, and seating at the right hand of the Father. In Romans 5.17, we see in the Amplified Translation of the Bible the phrase, reign as kings in life. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? According to Luke chapter 4, verse 5 through 8 in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, and 1 John 5.19, Satan, being the god, small g, of this world system, wants to dominate the financial world to fund his enterprises of sin and rebellion. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for us so we can funnel those finances to fund God's agenda, plan, and kingdom in the earth today. The money we need is down here on earth. It isn't up in heaven. God is not going to rain money down here on earth, which would be counterfeiting. God's will to bless and prosper his children freaks religious demons out who want to keep us poor and humble. Whatever we need financially, just claim it in faith in Jesus' name. We see in Luke 6.38 that it is through the bosom of men that God gives finances into our lives. So when men give unto us, generally speaking, God is behind it. Since the money we need is down here on earth, we have authority to call it into our lives. So whatever we need, just claim it. Luke 6.38 Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The reason we have a right to claim our needs met is because Jesus came to the earth and defeated Satan. Jesus has given us his name in order to keep the enemy under our feet in submission. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. John 15 verse 19 since we still have to live in this world for the time being, we must use our God-given authority to enforce Satan's defeat and enjoy the blessings of God that we have in Christ, including financial prosperity. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 through 13. We have authority through the name of Jesus to pry finances out of Satan's tightly clenched fists. Luke chapter 10 verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that this spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This concept of power of attorney is foundational in understanding the authority of the believer. It is defined as a document that gives another person legal authority to act on behalf of another. If we were to create such a document, we would be called the principal or grantor of the power, and the person to whom we gave this authority is called the agent or attorney in fact. A power of attorney can even be oral, and whether it was witnessed or not will be held up in court, the same as if it were in writing. Jesus gave us the power of attorney, the legal right to use his name. The value of the name of Jesus is based on how much power is backing the name that it represents. So how much power and authority does Jesus have? Well, to the victor belongs the spoils. Jesus has it all, and all the power and authority Jesus has invested in his name. Jesus has given his name to us to use in prayer, dealing with demons, ministering healing, water baptism, impartation of laying on of hands. It's all in the name. The measure of power and ability released in the name is the measure of the value of that name. All that is invested in the name belongs to us. Jesus gave us the unqualified use of his name. Concerning Matthew chapter 20 verse 18, when we examine the language of the Great Commission, from a legal standpoint, Jesus gave his church the power of attorney, or the legal right to use his name. Again, the value of the power of attorney depends upon how much there is in back of it. Matthew 28.18 gives us insight to how much authority his name represents. Matthew 28 verse 18 in the Amplified. Jesus approached and breaking the silence said to them, All authority, all power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go then and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, to the very close and consummation of the age. Amen. So let it be. We have been delivered from the authority, rule, and dominion of darkness, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 6, and Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. What Jesus did, he did for us, and we enter into his victory through faith in him as Lord and Savior. Jesus as our substitute, as the last Adam, did what the first Adam did not do, and that is destroy Satan's works. Therefore, we have the authority to tell Satan to take his hands off what belongs to us, including our finances. We are a good soldier in the occupation army of the Lord until he returns again. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. In other words, our job today is simply to mop up behind what Jesus has already won. We are the triumphant church, not the warring church, because we have already won in Christ. Just need to enforce Satan's defeat today. The word says we have been given authority over the devil in Jesus' name and that we can use that authority and claim our financial needs met. So let's learn to think and speak in line with what the word says. 1 John 4.4 You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
We can have what the Word says we can have. We can do what the Word of God says we can do. And we are what the Word says we are. We are born of God. Therefore, we are of God, and we need to know who we are in Christ Jesus. But then we must also act on it for it to become a reality in our lives. Colossians 1.27 To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the mystery. Through the Holy Spirit, we have all, born-again believers, been baptized into Jesus Christ. Jesus indwells us through the person of the Holy Spirit, and we are the body of Christ today. Jesus is the head, and we are the body. How can our head have one experience and our body another? No, it's impossible. In the same way, the Lord Jesus' victory is our victory. When he overcame demons and evil spirits, it was for our benefit that he destroyed the works of the devil. Jesus holds the keys to death and hell. This all has a direct connection to our finances. Since Satan is the God, small g, of this world system, Jesus defeated the works of the devil, including poverty and lack. Colossians 2.15 And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus spoiled and stripped principalities and powers. He reduced them to nothing in regards to their ability to dominate us anymore. Therefore, they can't dominate us financially either. Since these principalities and powers are dethroned, why are they still ruling in the world? Because the world doesn't know that they are dethroned. And because they are still under his dominion through sin, having not yet received Jesus as their Savior, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, and Titus 2.11, since they don't know about the good news, they can't act upon it. That is why Jesus and his church today are anointed to preach the good news to the captives. You have been delivered. Jesus has set you free. Just receive it and enter into the rest, provision, and protection of God. The enemy has been dethroned and brought to nothing. Well, I'm just trying to overcome them, someone said. No, you don't try. You just accept by faith what Jesus already did. What he did, he did for you and me. Christ's victory is your victory. Glory to God. 1 Corinthians 2.6 We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. That is why we just need to claim the money we need. Jesus already became poor to make us rich. Command the devil to get his hands off your finances. Speak the word concerning prosperity. This releases the angels of God, our ministering spirits, to cause the money to come in. We have to exercise spiritual authority in the area of finances. Satan would like to hinder and delay, but he can't make it stay. We will prosper anyway. So when it comes to redemptive items like prosperity, it has already been provided. It just needs to be appropriated through faith. I like to use the car keys analogy. If I give you my car keys because you need to borrow my car, and the next minute you turn around and ask me again for my car keys, I will say, I already gave you the keys to my car. They are in your right hand right now. If you persist in asking me for something I have already given you, well, eventually I will get a little frustrated with you. When we ask God to prosper us when he already did so 2,000 years ago, through his poverty might become rich, according to 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, 
We are praying when we should be proclaiming what is already an established fact. Redemptive provisions need only to be appropriated by speaking the word from our heart. Confession brings possession. 2 Corinthians 8.9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. And that scripture is not talking about spiritual riches. The context is talking about finances. And oh, by the way, the word might at the end of the scripture we just quoted does not mean, well, maybe if it is God's will, you might become rich. Rather, it means that it is emphatically God's will for us to be made rich, but it's not automatic and must be appropriated and mixed with faith for it to become a reality in our lives. So in other words, us becoming rich is not up to God, but is up to us to receive individually for ourselves. Just as the new birth was not automatic, we had to confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead according to Romans 10.9. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 it states, Therefore since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Hebrews 6.12 We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Galatians 6.9 Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So the bottom line is, please don't ask the Lord or pray to God for finances anymore. Whatever you need, claim it in Jesus' name. Say, Satan, take your hands off my money. And then say, go ministering spirits and cause the money to come according to God's word in Jesus' name. Angels are sent to be our ministering spirits to see that God's word comes to pass in our lives. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Another rule of thumb to keep in mind is that many things in this life can only come through other people. Take finances, for instance. God does not counterfeit money. Oftentimes, he will impress upon people to give into your life or ministry. But get this, it may not take until the 17th person to actually obey God and give. Well, this burns up time now, doesn't it? Suppose we become impatient and spiritualize the situation and reason away and say, well, I guess it just wasn't the Lord's will for me to go on that mission trip. Note to self, that statement would torpedo God's plan for them to go on that mission trip. Luke 6.38 Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The angels that were working, bringing the money in through people, would have to stop in their activities when we speak unbelief. Our faith in God's word sets the angels to workin', but when we speak doubt and unbelief, it brings them to a standstill. Angels are all about seeing God's word fulfilled in the earth, and God's kingdom advanced. Psalms 103 verse 20 Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will.
No more bondage, but glorious liberty. No more bondage, no more bondage. Now I am free from the enemy. I don't have to be sick no more. I don't have to be poor no more. I don't have to be bound no more by anything. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. No more bondage, but glorious liberty. The angels are a-workin', bringing the money in. The angels are a-workin', and by faith we always win. By his riches up in glory, my needs he does supply. My God has never failed me. On him I will rely. God is prospering everything I do. By his faithfulness, I know he'll always see me through. Though the enemy may try to hinder or delay, he can't make it stay. I will prosper anyway. Just as demonic spirits influence people to do bad things, angels of God can also influence people to do good. Now here's a really important point. We put pressure on the word of God, not on people. Mixing God's word with faith and action will bring results every time. Yet there is a manward side and a Godward side to receiving the blessings of God. Remember Isaiah 119. Before we can effectively exercise our faith for finances or any of God's blessings, we must be willing and obedient. Then we must think and believe in line with God's word and walk in the light of it. When we do, our faith will bring into manifestation what God has provided for us in his great plan of redemption. The next important principle is understanding the power of words. Our words set the landmarks of our life. They locate whether we are in faith or in fear. They set us free or hold us in bondage. If we have been speaking negatively about our financial situation, simply repent and start speaking the word of God over your finances instead. Proverbs 6.2 If you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. Mark 11.23 For surely I say unto you, Jesus said, Whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Notice in Mark 11.23 that Jesus pointed out to say three times to believing just once. In other words, when it comes to the operation of faith, we are to make speaking God's word out of our mouths a priority. Most believers understand the importance of believing with the heart, but we are weak on understanding and exercising the confession of the mouth. The word of faith requires both the confession and believing of God's word. Romans chapter 10 verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. In order for the word to work for us, it's got to be both in our mouth and in our heart. It can't just be in our mouth. Folks can say things, but if they don't really believe what they are saying from their heart, it won't work. Nor can they believe something in their heart without speaking it and expect it to come to pass. The spirit of faith that receives the promises of God will only work by believing and saying. In 2 Corinthians 4.13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. So let's speak God's word, the promises of God, 
victory, success, and overcoming in Jesus' name. Let's talk about how wonderful our Heavenly Father is. Let's boast in God and how awesome He is. This is how our faith will grow. Training in godliness dictates that we speak life, not death and defeat. If we talk about our trials, tests, and temptations, and how the devil is making our lives hard, and how we are struggling financially, our faith will just shrivel. So whatever we think on and speak about will build an image of faith or fear in our spirit, and that is what we will receive in life. If we talk about a lack of finances or a bad economy, it will stop the money from coming in. Folks need to learn that. But if we will believe in our heart what the Word of God said and confess it with our mouths, we'll get results. So faith for finances works just like faith for healing. We simply have to claim what we need. Everything in redemption has already been provided for. Just have to confess it, believe it, and receive it. So don't agree with what you see, bad circumstances, but speak what you believe to be true in God's word. Anyone can talk about what they see with their natural eyes. We release our faith by calling those things that be not as though they were, speaking with our spiritual eyes in God's word. Now here's a concept that's important, being sifted as wheat. The greatest battle that any child of God will ever fight is the battle of faith, which is living out, acting on, practicing in, and putting the Word of God first place in one's life. This is where the rubber meets the road for the Christian. This is where Satan will come with trials, tests, and temptations to challenge our belief in God and endeavor to rattle our world so that we abandon any aspirations we may have to live radically for Jesus. When we follow the life of Peter during the days of Jesus' ministry on earth, he was always outspoken and perhaps a little overconfident. He was a diamond in the rough for leadership that Jesus was continually polishing for the days ahead. During the days of the early church, Satan observed this as well, and like Job, wanted to prove God wrong and reveal the flaws, weaknesses, and try to make failures out of them. Luke 22 verse 31 Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. What Satan is after is the word of God, to steal it out of our lives. The enemy will use persecution to discourage us, temptation to defeat us, and condemnation and feelings of unworthiness to shame us. Anything at his disposal to keep us from living a life of faith and victory. If that does not work, he'll try to get us to compromise, to slow down, and present distractions. Just like the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, present desires for other things in order to choke the word out of our lives. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, 
you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Revelation 2.10 Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. But we have encouragement from God in this fight of faith that we are engaged in today. We are never failures unless we give up. So keep at it. Stand on the word. Speak the name of Jesus. Don't back down. Let up or give in. Keep fighting. However, if we give in to temptation, succumb to the trial, complain and cry during the test, we need to repent and ask our Heavenly Father for forgiveness according to 1 John 1, nine. A Christian can have 10 miles of tests and trials and not grow an inch unless they act on God's word in the midst of it and overcome. Romans 14.23 Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Matthew 14.26 When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus did not coddle Peter and say, It's okay, Peter, that you doubted me. It's only natural to be afraid of the storm. At least you tried. Better luck next time. No, this is not what Jesus said. Peter received a rebuke for giving into fear, because that is sin. Of course, the Lord was merciful and saved him when he cried out for help. He will also save us, too, when we experience a faith failure. Now, the Bible is clear that we are to show mercy and not to judge or condemn our brothers and sisters or even ourselves when we miss it. Christians have a bad habit of shooting their own wounded. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Remember, we claimed the new birth by confessing Jesus as Lord. So we can also confess, according to Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. When we believe and confess in line with God's word, we can appropriate what belongs to us in Christ Jesus already. We can't talk about the negative circumstances and accomplish much for God. When we release our faith about a thing, just say it once. After that, 
we give God thanks and praise as much as we like for the answer. Now, this is really important to understand. Faith will not work for us just because we are imitating someone else along these lines. We have to get the revelation of God's word concerning prosperity in our own heart. Become fully persuaded, then speak it out of our mouth, and it will work. That is the spirit of faith, according to 2 Corinthians 4.13. There is a confession of God's word unto faith, Romans 10.8, in order to believe God's word in our heart. This is done through Bible meditation, speaking God's word over and over again out of our mouths. In the course of time, faith rises from the heart, and there is a confession of faith from our heart called the spirit of faith, 2 Corinthians 4.13. The former we do over and over again, talk about the word of faith, which is a confession unto faith, until we become fully persuaded. The latter, or the spirit of faith, is the result of the word of faith in our heart. And that confession is only spoken once, when we finally believe that we receive, according to Mark eleven twenty three and 24. When we say with our mouth what we believe in our heart, the results will be forthcoming. God bless. I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life study series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.